You are now tuned in to the Property Management Show with your host, Alex Osanenko. We bring in the experts of today so you can be the master of tomorrow in all things property management. Whether it's getting more doors, running a profitable fee-based business, or by simply being the best property manager. So, grab a pen and paper because this episode is sure to be a good one. Thank you and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Property Management Show, another episode. Um, really, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a privilege. Um, I again want to thank you for listening, taking the time to educate yourself and improve your businesses and hopefully improve your life um, along with it. Um, now, you may have noticed I didn't publish an episode last week. Um, this is sort of a, you know, not my main gig is running a, you know, a multi-million dollar company. I, you know, this is my side hustle, but I'm very passionate about the podcast. I learn a lot of how I do things through my guests. And, um, you know, last week, basically, I just went off the grid, right? I went, I went camping with the family, and I do that every year around my birthday time. And I just take stock of where I'm at and where I'm going. And I didn't have a podcast recorded. So my apologies. But today, I'll make it up to you. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to make it up to you. Because I have a legend, right? If you're watching on video, you already know who this is. I have a legend here joining me, Robert Locke. He is... Um, He's a veteran of a property management industry. And Robert, how are you today? I'm doing fabulous. Thanks for letting me join you today, Alex. Oh, it's my pleasure. And it's all of our pleasure uh, who, who's listening. You guys are in for a treat. Now, Robert and I are going to talk about structuring your business to grow without growing pains, which I can tell you right now is probably impossible, but maybe Robert can help us elevate and sort of explain this. Um, but uh, a little bit about Robert. If you don't know who Robert Locke is, he started property management company 35 years ago from 50 units. He made all of the mistakes. He'll admit it himself. He made all of the mistakes possible and finally ended up uh, selling a large, very successful, immensely profitable property management company to a Fortune 500 um, enterprise. And he was under NDA. In other words, he could not really speak or teach any of the principles for a while after that acquisition. So today, this is the first time Robert is able to really come out and introduce his knowledge to the world. And I'm really, really humbled that he's decided to join the Property Management Show as his debut. Robert, thank you so much. You bet, glad to be here. All right, so lead us in. What is the first, so well, maybe I guess set us up a little bit. Structuring your business to grow without growing pains. What's some yeah. of the high level, um, yeah. Here's how this here's how this came about, Alex. Uh, we we started in the basement of our home in 1980. I had five rental houses, and I wanted to grow the business and become, you know, own more rentals. But I couldn't afford everything that I could that I could locate. So I started selling houses to investors, and they said, Robert, I'll buy it if you'll management manage it. So 1980, we formed Crown Realty Management out of our basement, and we started growing that business. And what I realized after about 10 years is that every level of growth, I had to let go of some of the things that I thought were sacred and necessary and important in order to run my business. And so when you go from 200 to 300, you learn some lessons. When you go from 500 to 600, you learn some lessons. And so I didn't have any investor groups. Mine was all one owner, one house. 
And so what I realized over time, and now that I am um, have clients all over the country and helping them grow, what the premise of this whole class is this. What we do naturally is we build a system that works for where we are today. Now we might be at 50, we might be at 300, might be at 500. And so what we inadvertently do is look back at our experience and look at our situation today, and we build a system that works absolutely perfect for today. Right. Yet, if they double in size, from my experience, what I've seen other people do, they crash and burn. In other words, some of the things that I held onto that were really, I thought, critical to my management model actually became a hindrance to taking it to the next level. I'll give you an example that everybody kind of understands. I tried to help a client buy out another management company here in Atlanta a year ago, and that manager, his model was to give every owner his phone number and every tenant. He got it up to about 200 properties. And he basically, his pitch was, if you don't like the answer my staff gives you, here's my cell phone number, call me. Well, that works at 50 or 100 or 150. He couldn't get, he couldn't grow any bigger than 200 because he built a model that wouldn't scale. Obviously, you can't go from 200 to 400 if every owner has your phone number. And so there's just one example of what people do to build things into their model that literally prevent them from going to the next level. So Robert, let's help, let's have our audience self-identify because last episode we talked with Jordan Moella and uh, Danny Craig, we talked about black hole, like a business reaches a certain black hole where nothing works that used to work. And in order to continue growing and continue the successful momentum, you have to sort of reimagine things. So let's, let's identify the steps. What do you think in your experience are these, uh, these, 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 these specific steps that you need to like reimagine your company? Um, I mean, is it 200 unit, the first one, 400 unit, how, how would you break them out? No, I don't think there is. I, I think to go from 50 to 100, you got to change your model. I think to go from 500 to 700, you got to change your model. I don't think there's a point at which you say, okay, I'm at 200, I need to change my model. I think no matter where you are in your business growth, if, if you're at 50 and you're doing things, a lot of manual processes, you're doing things to accommodate owners in a way that you absolutely can't do when you go to 200. So I don't think there is a point. I think wherever your client is, 150, 300, 1,000, 1,500, I think there are things that we build into our systems that become hurdles and stumbling blocks to get to the next level. And there are some things that, examples that I would share with you that are really obvious. Here's another one. I've got a client in Savannah that's managing about 200. And their model was built off of a sales model. In other words, it kind of driven by a brokerage side of the business. And in their model, what they decided to do is send the rent to the owner every month and then invoice the owner for their fees. Now, not only are there $60,000 of accounts receivables every month, hmm. but they've had to hire an accounting firm to do all the invoicing and the tracking. Now, you and I sit here, most of your observer, most of your listeners sit here and say, obviously, that's not scalable. You can't go from 200 to 500 properties doing that. That's insane. And it became the hindrance to them growing. And what they had to do is give that up in order to go from 200 to 400. So I just helped them strategically to figure out how to take their 200 owners and over a period of months, morph them to accept the fact that when we collect the rent, 
we're going to hold out the management fee and send you the net. It took some time. It took some strategy. It took some proper letters and conversations. But basically, over a period of six months, they ended that program. They no longer have any accounts receivables. They don't invoice their owners every month for their fees. Now they're back on a system where they can double in size and the wheels won't come off. Now, everybody listens to those two stories and they kind of say, well, of course, that won't scale. And yet we all find we all build things into our systems that those of us who have doubled and gone to the next level can spot them. So I know what I had to give up from 300 to go to 500. But when I was at 300, I couldn't see it. I had to do it in little tiny increments. What was it, Robert? What was it that, what was the one of the, one of the like, bigger things you had to give up? All right, the biggest, the biggest one is this, and this is the Mac Daddy of them all. There's about six or eight. Here's the big one. And when most people get in the management of business, they come out of sales. And in the sales business, they do what the owner asks them to do. They are what I call a small A agent. Mm, I like that. They're a scribe. They're a, they're a facilitator. The owner's in charge. They execute on the, owner's, on, on the owner's directives. And so they move into property management and they think that before they approve an application, they have to confer with the owner. Before they handle a maintenance problem, they have to confer with the owner. Before they deal with an eviction, they have to confer with the owner. Why? Because that's what we did on the sales side of the business. We were a scribe, we were a facilitator. We were a small A agent, meaning we don't make any decisions for the owner. We collaborate with the owner on everything. And I, I met a, a guy in uh, Houston about a month ago that has 1,200 properties. And he says, Robert, I can't get any bigger because my staff time is eaten up collaborating with the owner. And the owner doesn't know the right answer, so you got to educate the owner, convince the owner, persuade the owner to do the right thing. And, and because they came out of a sales business. And they thought they were like a listing agent for sale. They couldn't make any decisions for the owner. The owner had to make all these decisions. So the number one hurdle that prevents people from going to the next level is this idea that you have to collaborate with the owner on every decision. A big A agent takes in from, uh, gives themselves authority in the management agreement to approve and deny applicants. That's brilliant. And go maintenance under 500 bucks to file an eviction when it's time to file an eviction, to handle the wobbly deck, to deal with the deadbolt that doesn't work, to replace the dead shrub. So you need spending limits and stop collaborating with the owner every time you turn around. So what we did, I came out of the sales business. I fell into this trap. And for the first 10 years, every decision went to the owner. I had to collaborate with the owner every single time I wanted to make a decision. And that stagnated me. It prevented me from taking it to the next level. It completely consumed my staff. And we yeah. teach, so, the, so sorry to interject here, but we yeah. teach the owners to behave this way. Because a lot of ways, a lot of times, this is about owner education. And, you, you know, you got to earn their trust and, and you got to tell them that what, what, what's happening. Are you familiar with a, a, a guy called uh, Steve Crossland? Oh my gosh, yes. I love what Steve does. Steve, okay, so Steve, now Steve is a big A agent. Absolutely. He is the extreme on that, on that scale. You know, you know that graph you draw? You're right. He's extreme yes. big A. Now, I just listened to his podcast on the Profitable Property Management Show with Jordan Buala. In fact, just listened to it 
um, just listen to it as I was driving up to the office to do this this interview with you. So those of you on video can see that. Go listen to that podcast. Now, Steve's got a very interesting, very, very well put together business, and he is an extreme big A. I disagree yeah. with him on, on, on a number of things. For example, you know, uh, acquiring yourself a job and doing this safe and steady and keeping your portfolio extremely profitable. You know, some of us, you know, we're just not interested in running a small business. I want to run a big, I love employee, I love team, I love inspiring people, I love giving up, giving things. He doesn't like any of those things. And for people like that, what he does is amazing. But he's definitely got that dialed into the big A. Yeah. Big a. Yeah. Now, I've only done that twice in my life where I was a really, really big A. I had a client that went out on the mission field for two years and he didn't have anybody to step in. He gave me a full-blown power of attorney to manage his rental. I couldn't mortgage it. I couldn't sell it. But if it needed a new roof, I made the decision. And I'm not suggesting any property manager should function there. That's a really, really, really big A agent. I had another client that was incarcerated in the Fenton Penitentiary for five years. <laughs> kind of my typical client. Well, he couldn't make any decisions. He gave me a full-blown power of attorney. Again, I couldn't sell it. I couldn't finance it. I couldn't put a loan against it. But I could do the siding if that's what was needed. That's where Steve operates. And I applaud him. He is my hero because he really has designed a system that says, Mr. Owner, if you can't trust me to make wise decisions and to be able to defend those decisions, find another manager you can trust. Exactly. Because I'm His not going to call you. I'm going to manage it. The, the way he operates is exactly that. And, and his maintenance limit is 500. But he says up front, if air conditioning fail, it fails, and it will fail on four or five houses every year, right? If it fails, I'm going to send my tech. It's getting replaced. And that's that, right? We, we, yep. can't, we can't get bids. Yeah. We can't, we, you know, the tenant is 105 degree heat. The tenant is suffering. I'm not, you know, we're not going to put them through it. We're just going to replace it. And I'm going to ask you for a $5,400 check. And if yeah. they upfront disagree with that mindset, he just lets them go. He just does not work with them. Yeah. That's extreme. Alex, be careful. You, you can get there over time, but let's face it. New people in the industry are very nervous about taking that kind of authority. Yeah, I agree. When I can say to somebody, look, we've processed 2000 or 5,000 or 20,000 applications We've leased to people for 30 years. I know what qualifying guidelines look like. You don't have any training in it. If I decide they qualify, I'm moving them in. Now, you can, you can be mad at me. You can fire me. If you think I really did bad, you can sue me, but I'm not going to let you micromanage me. Here's the term I heard years ago I love. I don't do co-management. Yeah, I love that. That's good. I don't I do co-management. This or this. You I know? think this is no co-management or try to avoid co-management or educate your and because and one more thing about steve he, i just i just just memorized it right i just read i just listened to his podcast he purchased a portfolio of 68 properties in uh when he just started in the nine early 90s and what he did he went through them and the owner goes or the owner of that business he purchased goes well yeah this lady she really wants to get paid by the sixth oh and this guy he wants his uh, uh repairs to be called no matter what even though the contract says 200 limit you know, he needs to be called all the time. And so what Steve did, he just sent a letter to everybody saying, hey, operating procedures, new management agreement, you know, who's in? And so 16 people popped out. And he's like, I'm happy they did. Yep. You know? Yeah. Too many people are worried about, oh, my gosh, I might lose an owner. And, and therefore, they won't raise fees. They won't offer extra services. They won't do things that will make them money. I, I had a 
client with about, but I have a, a client about 400 owners and he wanted to introduce a new fee. And it was a, it was a couple of hundred dollars a year. It was pretty big. And so we structured the letter and sent it out to all the owners and he lost five owners, but he made another 75,000 a year on the remaining ones. There you go. And basically if you run your business for fear that you're going to lose an owner, you won't be making enough on the ones that remain. Is that the next big one? No, no, that's, well, that's not a good the next one. big one. Let's, no. let's put it as 1A. <laughs> all right, 1A, here we go. All right, now, look, there's a really important formula here that, you, that your listeners need to get into. Oh, your I know you got to drop this, and I love this one. Go ahead. This is a formula. It's really it. a good formula. Here's the truth. Property management is a nickel-dime business, right? I mean, it's chunk change. It's pennies. We're not chasing $5,000 checks. We're chasing 80 bucks a month. Mm. All nickel-dime businesses require volume. So here's the formula. Nickel-dime businesses require volume. In order to do volume, you need speed. Speed like approving applications without calling the owner. Handling maintenance under $500 without collaborating with the owner. That's speed. Processing an application and signing the lease without the owner. Moving the tenant in without the owner. That's speed. So you got to build your system to have speed because volume requires speed. Now, here's the last part of the formula. You must have speed to have scalability. If, if you've got to collaborate with the owner, you defeat speed and you defeat the ability to scale. At our high point, we were moving 50 to 60 tenants in a month. Think about that. If we had to collaborate with the owner to approve or deny an application, if we had to collaborate with the owner and ask the owner to sign the lease, if we had to get the owner's approval on the amount of the security deposit, that defeats speed. So you've got to build speed into your system in order to be scalable. And people who are collaborating with the owner, I had a client the other day say, Robert, I collaborate with the owner, but I feel like I'm driving a motorhome. And I said, well, let's change that around. Let's build that around so you can drive a Ferrari. <laughs> because one is clunky and slow and a gas guzzler. The other is racy and fast and efficient. And so, and, and so you've got to get away from collaborating with owners. And what that means is you basically teach owners that you know what you're doing. They have to manage the expenses in arrears. And if you ever do something they don't like, you have the opportunity to call me and chew me out. I might change my mind or you can fire me and let me go. So this is where I, I want to put pause on this one. So this is where the qualification and sales process comes in. This is where educational blogging comes in. This is where constant newsletter style personal communication to your owner comes in. So you can actually catch, you can, you can move yourself into a big A. You can gain volume and speed if A, you do your you, you teach your BDM, or if you're doing the sales yourself, you qualify people up front and you set the expectations that you're the professional. Then you educate them through your, your video blogs, through the, the articles that you're going to publish on your website, and then you do that through this cons consistent communication with your newsletter. I mean, Steve um, in Empire Industries, Steve Rosenberg takes it to the next level. They have, they teach uh, quarterly uh, education classes to their owners, and you know, there, there's a re multiple reasons why they do that. You know, part of it is they want them to buy more properties. You know, they, they sort of grow within with grow through existing database, but they're also continually educating their owners uh, to give and to trust 
uh, the authority to them to do the, to do the job they need to do. Yeah. So, well, that's a very starts, good point. Yeah, it starts with the management agreement, Alex, because you can write a management agreement that says, on all maintenance, I'll call the owner, or the owner's gonna approve and deny an application, or the owner's gonna sign a lease, or the owner's gonna deal with such and such. So when you build that management agreement, if you build it that way, you are building it to be sluggish and lethargic and slow. So it starts with having the right language in the management agreement that says, I'll approve and deny applications, I'll sign leases, I'll handle maintenance under 500 bucks, I'll do these things. And then you teach the owner over time that they can trust you to make good judgments. Now here's the big idea that your listeners need to remember. Owners don't know what's gonna be in a management agreement. Owners do not know what a management agreement ought to say. They do not lay three management agreements out and see how different managers do it. They read your management agreement, sounds logical, sounds intelligent and thought out, they sign it, and since 20, uh, 25 years ago, 10 years after I got in the business, we went to that kind of agreement. And since that time, we signed up about 3,000 owners. Again, we didn't deal with groups of investors. But our biggest investor, I think, had six properties. Mm -hmm. So when over time, we simply gravitated and moved to a bigger and bigger and bigger A agent where we took on more of the responsibility, made the decision, defended the decision to the owner. And if they thought we screwed them or we or the prices were double or we didn't take out look, look out for this, their, their best interest, they could fire us, it's okay. But we were not gonna co-manage. And, and, and you basically, there are some people that are timid personalities. They don't wanna make the decision for the owner. They wanna go to the owner. Yeah. There are new folks in the business that are less educated, less familiar with the law, less familiar with the business. They would naturally collaborate with the owner, let the owner make those decisions. So the more you grow and learn in the business, the more you know about the laws that govern this business, the more backbone you develop, the more confidence you develop. And many people gravitate to a big A agent that they would never have started out that way. So this isn't something that you kind of say, oh, I'm gonna get into management business, I'm gonna be a big A agent. We started out as a small A agent and gravitated and morphed and grew over time as we realized that, that we can't grow if we're collaborating with the owner all the time. Yeah, and okay. same thing in my business, Robert. I can't, you know, we run digital marketing which continually changes and, and continually improves and, and different, different new systems come in. That, and, and stop, stop working and they start working again and there's new uh, players in the, uh, in the space. And if I had asked my clients what they want me to do for them, um, you know, I'd end up being a very tiny company and not very effective. Um, you know, we research, we figure out what needs to be done, we implement and we put the flavor of the brand, we put the value propositions on the brand, we package it up in a way that it's, it becomes yours, but we know what to do. Yeah. Got we it. know how to market. Yes. I don't need yeah. specific instructions on how to run Facebook campaigns or Google AdWords or how to build a website. I know how to do it. I'm just going to make it yours. That's my job. That's really what the, what the art and science of marketing is. But it's well, very similar to what you do. Sure. Very similar. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I wanted to take just two minutes of your time and say thank you to our sponsor, a company who makes this podcast a reality. That's Four and a Half, my company.
We do marketing for property management companies. We've done it for the last seven years. And the latest innovation we're introducing is guaranteed plans. That's right. We, we're able to guarantee the performance of our marketing and website services to you if you hire four and a half to do both your marketing and the website. It all starts with a thorough business performance review where we really take a deep look into your business, SEO, uh, business practices, your uh, identify current up gaps and areas of opportunity, and then figure out how to close them for you. Then we're gonna guarantee a specific outcome in terms of results. And if that aligns with your goals for the business, we can sign you up for this guarantee plan and deliver the results to you or work for free. If you have any, uh, if you would take, take a further look at this, go to fourandhalf.com, hit pricing and take a look at our guaranteed plans. Thank you, let's get back to the show. Let's hit the next big point. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to another one. Back in the old days, 19, let's say 2010, uh, we were doing 50, 60 move-ins a month and we did them by meeting the tenant at the house. And you gotta stop doing that. You gotta give that up if you're gonna grow. You gotta learn to do what we call remote move-ins. In other words, the old style is, the agent meets the tenant at the house. They walk through and do a move-in inspection. They might sign the lease. They collect the security deposit, give the keys, hugs, hugs and kisses, and they leave. And we did that for decades, decades. And, and when you get the volume up, if we're do, doing 20, 30 move-ins a month, that's really, that's really chaos. That's really hard. So what you have to do is let go of that personal move-in process so many tenants want to do that at seven o'clock at night or Saturday morning or doing the Super Bowl. You just can't do that. So you got to set up systems where you can get everything done by DocuSign. You got to you have tenants go to their portals and pay their rent, their security deposit. Now you can't scan them a key, but what you can do is create a lockbox mechanism at the house that is controlled remotely, or you can set it. Say, okay, tenant, everything is in. You're all done. You can go to the house now, get the key out of the lockbox and move in. Because if you've got to meet them at the house, archaic thinking, I did it for decades, but it's going to stagnate your business. You cannot develop speed and you'll never be scalable if you're not ready to give up remote move-in or go to, excuse me, remote move-ins. Mm. You just well, absolutely have to give up that process. When you teach this class, Robert, do people... Um come up and, and give you all kinds of reasons why they don't want to do it. It's like, are you exposing yourself to more risk? You're not really serving your owner by not knowing who's getting the house. I heard a lot of these things, you know, on Facebook groups, there's a lot of discussion. People are now more, you know, show mojo and these, these uh, you know, rent leaders, these, all these guys that do remote lot boxes are very, very successful and growing fast, but they're still a good. And Steve Crossland is one of them, although he's thinking about it now. He's, he's now like, oh, yeah, maybe I should do it. But he's one of those who was going to go meet the client, shake hands. Oh, oh, but Steve Crossland does not want to scale. That's not his gig. That's not his game. Um, but do you get a lot of, like, pushback on this? You know, we didn't. And I think you just changed the subject to what I would call number three, and that's remote showing. Wow, what but, a second. Okay, no, no, no. Because that's kind of the next on the list is remote showings, right? When at our high point, 120 houses on the market for rent. You had to have an army of leasing agents to meet everybody at the house. It was, it was huge and a very big expense. So, you know, one, one company comes in with a remote lockbox and you get to, you know, get the person's credit card. Eight years before that company came out, 
we installed a 10 pin button contractor lockbox on every house except vacant. I mean, I'm sorry, except occupied, obviously. And we did remote showings eight years before that system came about. What we had is people do we have them take a selfie, take a picture of the driver's license, text it to us, and then we give them the lockbox code and they could self show. Hmm. Now, the, the, the society we're living in is more and more non personal, right? It's Facebook, it's Twitter. Yeah, they want to get in, they want to no check it out, contact. they want to be gone. And so there's an element of personal relationship that we're losing when we do remote showings, remote move-ins, we've never met the people. And from a fair housing standpoint, that's better right. because we don't know what color Correct. they are. Correct. We don't know I what agree. nationality they are. I agree. So from a fair housing, remote showings, remote move-ins is a better thing. From the standpoint of personal contact, that's going in the opposite direction. So there's a tension there between do we do remote showings, remote move-ins, never meet the people, or do we open the door and say, this is the living room, this is the bedroom, here's the bathroom, look, here's a backyard with a deck. I mean, really, when it comes to rentals, I understand that in the, in the sales business, because that's big ticket money, right? You can sh you show off a house. In rentals, that's a temporary decision. I don't need to go see the rental car at Hertz before I rent it. I don't need to look under the, under the dash, look in the back seat. I don't have to inspect the property. I'm going to rent the car for a week. But, on a, but if I'm going to buy a house, that's a different scenario. I need to really know that house. I need a human being there to help me. So people doing rentals, they're going to live there for a year to five years. They don't really care that much whether the bathroom is off the master bedroom or off a hallway. Okay, so it's a shorter term relationship. So I think remote showings and remote move-ins are fine. There are some people who really wanna personalize their business. They wanna, they wanna shake hands. They wanna kiss the kids. They wanna pet the dog. They wanna help them move in. I get that. If you're gonna stay small and you wanna remain personal and have relationships, you've got to do that. It's just not scalable. Right, 100%, man, I'm okay. with you. And I think we have most of the audience listening. I think they're, I think they're more towards yours and mine point of view. Um, I think there might be, I think Steve Crossland, I'm sorry to keep calling him out, but using his example, if he wanted to, he can scale his business and remain probably very profitable, but not as profitable as he is, not, not like you know, 70, 80%. Um, but let's let's keep going. Um, we got uh, we got some time left. Uh, we got where are we at? Um, yeah, so about ten minutes. So, what else, Robert? What is the next? Right. Here's, here's another one, and this is kind of the the catnip around the Narpum world today, and that is to embrace outsourcing. Embrace outsourcing. Now, there's a number of different vendors that have come into the market that have hired people in the Philippines or China. You know, in Iran, somewhere around the world, to take phone calls, to process applications, to to do to handle maintenance calls and stuff like that. But you can do this on your own. You can do a search for Mexico, Mexico City virtual assistant. We found one the other day that was educated in Minneapolis. They spoke English as well as any of us. They were highly educated. They were a virtual assistant. 
They love $5, $6 an hour. Oh my gosh, you can get so much work done on the administrative side and even in the people relationship. They handle your front desk calls. They handle all your maintenance calls. They handle all your tenant uh, questions about your rental properties. Outsourcing is absolutely critical. Not because it makes you more money in terms of generating revenue, but it holds your cost down. When we were at 1,000 properties, we had 18 full-time staff. There was no virtual assistance. There was nothing that offered that. And now I could have run that whole business with about 12 staff if I had engaged uh, virtual assistants. Okay? Hmm. I think that's a critical element to become scalable and to become profitable. Well, I think another, another good point of, 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 of value here is that the 18 you have, your payroll ceiling is uh, being pushed up a little bit consistently. So when somebody continues to sort of, you know, when somebody overachieves and they're a top performer, you really have no way to push them forward financially, you know, you have no way, you know, we have no real positions for them to occupy because you have, your payroll is maxed out as it is. So you have to let them go and get somebody else new who's cheaper. With the way, the, the biggest advantage I see with virtual labor is leveraging that for your lowest category of tasks, maybe second category of tasks, and have your people operate at a strategic level, strategic level with strategic pay, okay? When you pay people well, when you treat them well, when you give them responsibility, they what? They stay. Turnover is the enemy of scale. The enemy of scale, the enemy of, of business, right? That's the biggest problem we have. And I think that is not being talked about enough, that the virtual assistants really help you uh, build strategic assets from your employees rather than just doers. You know, this isn't on the uh, number on, on our outline, but you really hit a point, Alex, that I think is worth zeroing in on just a bit. I went to an apartment industry trade show about 15 years ago, and I learned a lot. One of the things I learned about every sixth booth sold trinkets, coffee mugs, balloons, doorknob hangers, um, a mouse pad, all kinds of stuff. And I started inquiring, why is there so much of this stuff? And what I learned in that experience is they understand better than we do. Now listen to this, that the tenant is the asset. Mm. You see, they understand that if they can keep a tenant in their apartment for two to five years, they make a lot more money. Oh, the turnovers are expensive. I've been in Arpham conventions. I don't hear anybody talking about how to keep tenants 20 years. Our longest tenant stayed 20 years. We had a ton of tenants stay 5, 10, 15 years. We had tenants that were on their third crown rental house and had been with us for 12 years. And you hit the nail on the head. Profit is made in property management with long-term tenancies. Not, you don't make any money on a procurement fee. You generate some cash, but it's all sucked up in leasing fees and, and underwriting costs and move-ins and labor. The money in property management is made by putting a good tenant in a house and keeping them there, there 10 years. But who's supporting, okay. right? Who's supporting that tenant? So I would say my, my argument is I think the employees is asset number one. 
all people say is like, oh, it's, it's this, my biggest cost is payroll. I got to keep it down, keep it down. Well, the output of labor and, you know, the labor ratio is, is all about, you know, you can have an employee that's working eight hours, but really working four. They're not motivated. They're not, they don't see outward potential. I'm talking about employee being asset number one. And you're absolutely right. I've been talking and fighting with people that the tenant is asset number two. But but then, but I get, I get, I get sort of stood up on this and I get sort of punched a little bit left and right because I say this because I will work for the owner. We work for the owner. Well, if you make a tenant happy, you automatically make the owner happy, right? Unless it's something weird going on. Yeah, sure. We found that we used to spend a lot of time and attention on uh, hand-holding owners so we could keep owners. And this idea of the tenant as the asset switched our focus. We started, we realized, and, and it's a big idea that's really worth thinking about. The longer I can keep a tenant, the longer I can keep an owner. It's during vacancies that owners lose us. So if I can keep a tenant five years, guess what? I keep an owner five years. So I kept a tenant for 20 years in the same house, not staff, not family. I'm just talking about John Q. Public. Kept a tenant in the house 20 years. How long do you suppose we kept that owner? 20 years. 20 years. 20 years. And what I see people make a huge mistake is in the management agreement, giving the owner the opportunity to terminate. Now listen, at the lease renewal date. Well, that's really a dumb idea. Because that means every single year, the owner has an opportunity to redecide whether or not he wants to use us as a management company. And, and so 25 years ago, we wrote our management, or our rental agreement, and our management agreement, excuse me, that said our management agreement continues to renew and extend until the tenant moves out. Not an anniversary day to the lease, but when the tenant moves out. Because if you put in a 700 credit score tenant, no pets, no kids, you know, they don't smoke, blah, blah, blah. And a year later, you have an anniversary date and the owner has an opportunity to, to terminate the management agreement on the anniversary date. He'll go over and meet those people. He'll cut you out of the management agreement, out of the management. Now your revenue is gone. So if you want sustained revenues, you tie your management agreement expiration date to the vacancy not to the anniversary day of the lease, but when the tenant moves out. That's a juicy, juicy bit. Robert, let's stop. Let's stop here. There's a lot more in this course that you teach. How would people go and purchase this uh, if they wanted to dig in deeper and, 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 and sort of understand all, these, uh, all this wisdom that you laid out on us? Yeah. Well, we have this workshop online. It's trainingpropertymanagers.com. Trainingpropertymanagers.com. There's a button there with courses. There's on-site courses and online courses. And on the online course, there is a series that you can subscribe to. Right now, there's not a fee to it. It's available Ooh, nice. to everybody, okay? Very nice. And it's called Built to Scale or Built to Grow. And it's this whole idea that when you're at 200, you build your system to work at 200, not 300. And people like us that have been in the business a long time, we can look at somebody's system and say, you're doing five things that will prevent you from doubling in size. And you have to give up those things if you want to scale. Understood. That's the so whole Robert, premise of it. It's a whole premise of it. Very kind of you. What we'll do is we'll link to the specific course you mentioned in the article. All you got to go and sign up. 
um, sign up uh, for trainingpropertymanagers.com. Give Robert your email. He's not going to abuse it. He's going to send you some tidbits, right? Tidbits of information here and there, and you get access to this course, and you can really dig in and understand. You can also hire Robert as a consultant. I'm very sort of thankful. And, oh, one more thing we're doing. If you're still listening, we're now picking our um, – doing a lot of work to pick out our PM Growth Summit 2019 speaker lineup. So if you guys, I'm going to put this on you. If you, the audience, want to hear Robert come in and speak, send me an email, alex at fourandhalf.com, and let me know you want to have Robert there. Um, that's every speaker now is going to have to go to a podcast, go through the interview, and I want to hear feedback, right? I want to hear the feedback, what people think is the content relevant. So this is essentially are going to be kind of a public sourced um, speakers who everyone, um, who most people would uh, appreciate and, and want to hear from. Um, so that's good, Robert. Do you have any parting words of wisdom? Yeah, put, put four and a half on your very short list and see how you can magnify and grow your business. Check out their site, fabulous outfit. Oh, that's, I appreciate that, Robert. All right, all the best to you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening. Until next time, it's been an immense pleasure. Thank you.